Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast, presented by FlickeringMyth.com. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. Today's episode is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at www.audibletrial.com slash writer experience. Audible has over 180,000 titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Gene Cavellos. Gene is a former senior editor, Phantom Doubleday Dell, and winner of the World Fantasy Award. A former NASA scientist and an author of several books, including The Science of Star Wars, The Science of the X-Files, and the best-selling Passing of the Techno Mages trilogy set in the Babylon 5 universe. She has been running and teaching the Odyssey workshop since 1996. Jean, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Court. It's a pleasure to speak with you. You're an astrophysicist or a former astrophysicist? Yes. My goal in life was to become an astronaut like Charlton Heston in the original Planet of the Apes and I guess blow up the planet since that's what he ended up doing. <laughs> I believe you're a first for our podcast as far as astrophysicists, so we're really excited to have you. You're also an author, and you also run the Odyssey Workshop. We really want to dive into both of those things. My first question is always, where are you in the world right now? So tell us, where are you? Uh, I live in New Hampshire. I wanted to get out of the craziness of New York City of publishing, and New Hampshire is a beautiful, beautiful place. When you worked at NASA, were you also based in New York City or were you somewhere else uh, in the no, world? No, I was, I was at the uh, Johnson Space Center in Houston. Oh, wow. Yeah, and I worked in the astronaut training division. So if anything ever goes wrong with the astronauts, it may possibly be due to some training manual I wrote way back when. Well, let's hope that does not happen. The next question, tell us in your own words who you are and what you do. I listed a long list of stuff, whether it's you being an astrophysicist or you being an author and running this workshop. When you meet someone, what do you say? Well, it depends who that person is. But usually I say I'm the director of Odyssey. It's a nonprofit with the mission of helping writers of fantasy, science fiction, and horror improve their work. Uh, And that's really what I spend most of my days doing. And I just love it. It's something that I have now done for 25 years, which is hard to believe. And I also write every day. Um, I'm very committed to my writing. So those two things are the main things that I do. Before we get into the Odyssey workshop, tell us, is there a project that you're working on right now? Or uh, Yeah, I'm um, currently writing a novel called Fatal Spiral. It's a near future science fiction thriller. Uh, and I have to advise anyone listening to not write anything set in the near future. This novel set 20 years in the future, and every time I invent some technology that exists 20 years in the future, somebody steals it out of my brain, puts it on the shelves, and then I've got to invent something else that's even more in the future. So the way the pace of technological advancement these days makes it very hard to create a near future world. You're much safer going like a thousand years in the future. Has that always been the case? I feel like that was also the case years back, maybe in you know, mid uh, 20th century, people would write science fiction set maybe now. And obviously those things seemed almost primitive or maybe too advanced. Is there a way to find the balance between that? 
Yeah, there's definitely a danger of being too advanced in your future world. You know, we're still waiting for flying cars, right? Uh, <laughs> and those true. were predicted to, uh, to exist long ago. So that's sad because that would be fun. But yeah, it's, it's very hard because, well, if you think about something like Star Trek, you know, they had uh, the original Star Trek, you know, we're going at warp speeds many, many times the speed of light. Uh, and yet, you know, we have these little communicators, which only operate by voice. They, they're very primitive with any kind of computer technology they imagined. So they're, they're so far behind on that part of it. And yet so far in the future, as far as their, their transportation doesn't quite fit together. Let's talk about the Odyssey Workshop. Can you tell us what is it and what's your role? Sure. Well, I started Odyssey back in 1996. Uh, it's a nonprofit. I started it for two reasons, really. I w wanted to get out of publishing and focus on my own writing, but I wanted to be able to continue to work with writers the way I did as a senior editor to help them improve their work. And I wanted to have more in-depth and meaningful relationships with writers uh, where I am trying to, to help them than you can have really in publishing where things move very quickly. So when I moved to New Hampshire to focus on my writing, I thought, how can I create this program or whatever it is to work with writers? And I thought back to my days in my um, MFA program uh, where I got my master's in creative writing. And at that time, uh, where I went, none of the teachers knew much of anything about science fiction, fantasy, or horror. None of the students read it or wrote it. And so here I am, the weird girl who writes science fiction, who used to be an astrophysicist. <laughs> uh, and they tried to help me. They tried to help me. And they did help me with stylistic concerns, you know, how to write a good sentence, how to include subtext and symbolism. And those things are very valuable, but they really couldn't tell me if I was writing a good science fiction novel. They couldn't help me with world building or plotting, things that are very important in genre fiction. So I thought, wouldn't it be great to create something that's like an MFA program with that level of advancement? but where all the teachers and all the students write science fiction, fantasy, and horror, read it, love it, believe in its value as an art form. And so that's why I created Odyssey. Uh, and it started out as a six-week summer workshop, which we still hold every year, and that's the, the main part of Odyssey. But we added on to it uh, for people who can't get away for six weeks, because I kept hearing from people, you know, hey, I got a life. What do you want me to do? So we added online classes so people could learn from home. We added a critique service so people can get professional level feedback on what they're writing, coaching, consultations, and lots of free resources like um, podcasts, a blog, writing tips. And we have this once a month uh, online writing salon where writers can just come uh, and talk about their problems or share their successes or their insights, which is just a really lovely thing. And is there so, a physical location associated with this or is this mostly digital? Well, the six-week uh, workshop is in person and that's held at St. Anselm College in Manchester, New Hampshire, which is a really beautiful 
small liberal arts college. Uh, and in the summer, we have it almost all to ourselves, which is great. So that's the main physical location, aside from just my office, which is currently filled to the <laughs> with piles and piles of papers related to Odyssey. It wouldn't be a, a writer's office without stacks of papers everywhere, right? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I feel obligated to print out almost everything, even now. Uh, how big is the organization as far as staffing and the people you hire to kind of work with the writers? Well, uh, I'm the only full-time employee. I have many contractors who help with different tasks like publicity or teaching, uh, you know, teaching of the online classes or being guest lecturers at the summer workshop. We have resident supervisors at, at the workshop who help the students to, you know, deal with the everyday living challenges. And I have tons of volunteers. That's the great thing about Odyssey, really, is secretly it's sort of been a method for me of, like, making the best friends ever who share all my interests. <laughs> um, because once they graduate the program or graduate the online classes, Lots of them want to stay involved. They want to volunteer to help out with tasks. So that's been wonderful. And how does it work when a writer wants to go to this workshop? They have a work in progress that they bring to you, or does it start from scratch? Well, they apply and send in a writing sample with their application, up to 4,000 words. So most of them have written a fair amount. I mean, it varies widely. Some of them who apply have been writing for 20 years and have seven novels in a trunk in the basement. Some of them who apply have only been writing seriously for six months, and they have a small pile of short stories they've written, but they're really, really good. Some of them have already been published and have had some success, but they, they're frustrated that they can't get farther and they want to take it up to the next level. So we generally, um, very tough, you know, we only admit 15 students because everybody needs a lot of one-on-one -on -one attention to make the most improvement they can over the six weeks. So it's, uh, we keep it very small. So it's competitive and can be difficult to get in. But uh, as I said, you don't have to have been writing forever. You don't have to have been published. You just have to have your work at a certain level where you can benefit the most from the program. So some of the people who come in have stories they want to get feedback on and revise. Some of them have novels that they're working on. Uh, that's something unique to Odyssey compared to some other uh, science fiction and fantasy workshops is that you're allowed to work on novels if that's what interests you. But we do have a rule that after the first two weeks at Odyssey, you can't submit something that you've written previously unless you've radically revised it because they will have learned so much by that point that they'll already know tons of ways they could improve. It. Right. And so turning in something they wrote before is just a waste of time because the critiques will just tell them the very things they already know. But if they want to radically revise it and then turn it in, then they can get feedback on how, how that's working. You mentioned that people are looking for their feedback to revise maybe the novels they're working on. Is there a universal goal for everyone that's coming out of the workshop? Is it about learning? Is it about getting something published? For a lot of them, it's about improving their writing and getting published. Uh, once in a while, we get someone who really doesn't care about being published, just wants to be able to write better, 
may end up submitting some things. Usually they get the bug to get published or to self-publish during the workshop if they don't have it already. Uh, but the, the great majority of them have been trying to get published and want to, you know, want to share their stories with other people, with readers. That's the goal. And then what is your involvement in the kind of coaching and editing process look like on a day-to-day? So an applicant will send in a writing sample. If they're admitted, then I ask them to send in a second writing sample before they come to the workshop. So I get both of those and I critique both of those before they come. And then in the first week or so of the workshop, they submit another work to the class and I critique that. So now I've critiqued three of their pieces and I have a really good idea of their overall strengths and weaknesses. So I actually make a list. Here are your strengths. Here are your weaknesses as a writer. Uh, And we meet within those first two weeks and discuss those. And I ask the student to pick a weakness to target for improvement. Uh, And we talk about what are some techniques that um, he could use to to improve that area, and then the student will go off and work on that. And then we'll meet within the next two weeks, weeks three and four out of the six-week workshop, to see whether, whether he was able to make progress, whether he's still stuck with the same problem. If so, we'll brainstorm some new ways to attack it. If he made great progress on that, then we'll pick another weakness off the list to target and come up with some methods for doing that maybe assign a special reading or ask for some pre-writing notes to look at how that element is being developed in the story. Uh, I'm very big on notes that students make as they're creating the story and looking at those, trying to see the thought process that goes into the decisions that are made, both so I can help guide them into maybe a, a way of doing it that would be more effective and for them to be more aware of, yeah, I'm making this decision right now. and Here's why I'm making it. And then later on, if I see that that led to a bad direction, I could figure out why did I make that decision, right? I think it's really good for writers to record their decisions. Um, anyway, then in the last two weeks, we meet again, review the progress that's been made over the six weeks of the workshop. And uh, I leave each student with some things to focus on as they go home, areas to improve, and a sense of where they have made some real progress. And that's one of the things I love most about teaching Odyssey is seeing that breakthrough moment. When I'm reading a story, I'm like, oh my God, this this student did it. This student could not do this before. (laughs) Here it is, and it's working, and it's so great. And that is one of the most exciting things uh, that's really, really rewarding, and it happens a lot. I mean, that's why we need six weeks. People, people contact me all the time and say, well, why can't it be two weeks or three weeks? It's like, well, if I could <laughs> help you make a major difference in your writing in two or three weeks, I would be happy to take the other three weeks off, <laughs> get some sleep. But it kind of takes writing a bunch of stories. You know, they write six stories or six chapters over the six weeks, and they're critiquing you know, all of their classmates' stories. So you're writing, you're critiquing writing, you're t- talking about writing, you're reading about writing, 
you're listening to lectures on writing all at once, and that has such a huge impact on someone over the six weeks that that's really, unfortunately, what's required. But it's exciting that it can make such a big difference for people. You mentioned that in the early stages, you take a look at the writer's works and you identify some common strengths and weaknesses. Have you found that there's a correlation between the most common strengths and weaknesses that you're seeing? Oh, well, the most common weaknesses are the protagonist has no strong goal that he's struggling to achieve, right? Your protagonist needs to have a goal and it needs to be a struggle to try to achieve it. If there's no goal, the protagonist is passive and is just being acted upon. And usually we don't like characters like that. And also it feels like the author is then manipulating the situation. If the goal is easy to achieve, then there's no story or it's not an exciting story anyway. So it needs to be a struggle to try to achieve it. And then he can either succeed or fail or change his goal. That's by far the most common one. Connected to that is the weak plot, which usually means little conflict, little suspense, weak causal chain, meaning one event does not cause the next. So again, it feels like the author is making things happen. And a lot of that can come from the character not having a goal or not having obstacles to the goal. Then we get into a little more next level of difficulty, things like uh, the character lacking a character arc. So the character maybe struggles to achieve a goal, but it doesn't mean much because the character doesn't change, right? If, if this is really meaningful in the character's life, this is the most important thing in your protagonist's life. And if it's not, why are you writing this story? But if it is, then it should probably change the protagonist in some way. Either he grows or he goes through negative growth, like going from becoming a healthy person to becoming an alcoholic or something, or he has an internal conflict that has to be resolved in some way. So those are very common weaknesses. Common strengths, uh, I think strengths are more to the individual. Usually people have a pretty good ability with language and style, or they're probably not going to get in. Often they're creative world builders, or they have some creative element to their stories, something fresh and different, because that's what I look for when I think about who am I going to accept into the workshop, is I'm looking for writers who have something that's important to them that they're trying to say in their stories, rather than just trying to imitate stories that other people have written. Um, and there's nothing wrong with imitation. That's a way of learning. But uh, ultimately, uh, I think writers produce stories that, that mean a lot to readers and that touch us uh, because they're doing things in a slightly different way than we've seen before, a way that is genuine to the writer and that genuine quality, that passion comes through to the reader. Would you say a lot of the issues that the writers are struggling with could be fixed in the outline stage, meaning are they core issues or are they things you're working on in the more detailed side of things, whether that's dialogue or description? Well, it's usually both. Uh, there are definitely problems in the core issues and problems that might be solved in an outline stage if the author can outline and use that in a, in a successful way to generate a story. I encourage writers who can 
do that to do it because it cuts down on you know major rewrites. Uh, if you don't know where the story is going and you want to ex- discover it, that's fine, but probably you have to throw out 90% of your discovery trip, right? Because you didn't know where you were going, so you didn't know what you needed to put into the story, so probably most of it doesn't need to be there. The problem is that a lot of writers want to discover it as they go and then not rewrite very much, you know, just polish or something. Revising is really, really important. Revising is the difference between an okay story and a great story in many, many cases. Very seldom is a great story produced on a first draft or, or 90% of a great story produced on a first draft. We have a lot of writers on this podcast. Do you like what writers write? Do you like free stuff? Well, Audible is offering a free audiobook download for listeners of the Writer Experience Podcast with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I recently downloaded James Joyce's Ulysses for my commutes into the city, while our producer Harry, who may or may not exist, has been enjoying J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. To download your free audiobook today, go to audibletrial.com slash writerexperience. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash writerexperience for your free audiobook. The Flickering Myth Podcast is a source for all of the weekly entertainment news that we could possibly be bothered to talk about. Tune in every Tuesday for a roundtable discussion featuring a host of Flickering Myth writers and contributors. You can find us on all your favorite podcatchers as well as right here at flickeringmyth.com, part of the Flickering Myth Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Alan Christian. I'm Gerald James. And I'm Lacey Day. And we host the Four Color Film Podcast. What do we do at the Four Color Film Podcast, Gerald? We watch and dissect every comic book-based film. Lacey, do you still like being here? Yeah, it's really great. (laughs) (laughs) You can find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify, and wherever else they have good podcasts and podcasts like these <laughs> you sound like a kidnapping victim <laughs> also on the flickering myth podcast network at flickeringmyth.com along with other great shows check us out and check them out too thank you hell zane hell zane hell zane Do you encounter a lot of writers who are experiencing writer's block, getting the inspiration to really do the work that needs to be done? So I think a writer's block, at least the way I think of it, is a little different than not having the inspiration or the drive. There's a lot of writers, I think, who can have times when they're lacking inspiration or drive. Writer's block, where you really can't write, I think is, is less common, but can happen. Um, certainly when you're at a workshop like Odyssey and you know that 15 people are going to be studying your story and telling you its strengths, but telling you in great, great detail all its weaknesses, that can be a little bit inhibiting to your writing. We really never had anybody get writer's block at Odyssey, but they can struggle with the idea of, you know, as you're writing every sentence, you're thinking, oh, what are they going to say about this? Or what are they going to say about that? 
And you kind of have to have faith that your classmates have your best interests in mind and are offering you feedback with the goal of helping you improve rather than wanting to cut you down and, you know, make you look bad. So part of the process at Odyssey is to really foster that very positive, supportive, respectful, caring uh, environment. And that doesn't mean you don't get critiques that are 1,500 words long and 1,300 words of that is weaknesses. That just means all of that is meant to help you because you can't improve if you don't know where your weaknesses are. So we try to put all of this in this context of everybody's trying to help everybody else improve. And that's how we can all get the most out of the workshop. But anyway, uh, when a writer contacts me and says, you know, I'm having writer's block, I can't get past it. A lot of times what can help is doing writing exercises because then you're not just sitting down to a blank page with, I've got to create something out of nothing, but you've got a particular goal. You know, if your goal is to describe a, a depressed person entering a room entering a McDonald's and describing the McDonald's in a way that's going to reveal their depression without coming out and saying it. Then you've got something interesting to work on. And it's not just like, oh, I've got to come up with characters and a setting and a plot and all this stuff. But you're just trying to do this little exercise. And slowly doing that can help to get the person out of writer's block. Uh, when people are feeling a lack of inspiration or drive, I think the answer a lot of times is to just impose uh, a schedule. You know, if you are going to write every day, which you really should, and you're going to write the same time every day and write, you know, the same number of words or for the same period of time, that can really help you to, to get it done, whether you have the inspiration or drive. If you wait for the inspiration or drive, you're not going to have a writing career, unless you're a person who's inspired all the time. And I don't think most writers are once in a while. And you just got to sit down and write every day. I was given that advice uh, probably when I was around 27. And I thought at the time, I'm far too busy to write every day. This is just not practical <laughs> advice for me. I'm too important, which of course I wasn't. And I didn't take that advice until probably, I don't know, probably I was 37. So 10 years of wasted time when I just wrote when I felt I had I had the time but it's not a matter of having the time it's a matter of making the time and now when I'm 10 million times busier than I was then I write every day I try to write for an hour a day and on the days when I can't write for an hour I write for 15 minutes 20 minutes but I write every day and usually if I don't have the time I just stay up later you know, losing sleep is not going to kill me, as I have learned at many odysseys. <laughs> uh, so, you know, you just get it done. And I think that's a, another lesson that I try to instill. I mean, inspiration is great. Capture it when it happens. But other than that, try to set up systems for yourself that will keep you working regularly. Besides helping, obviously, make the overall work better, do you help prepare them for self-publishing or submitting query letters or trying to get their book published after they leave the workshop? Yes. Uh, so a typical day at the workshop, we start at 9. 
Uh, and then we do lecture and discussion until about noon. So three hours of that, Monday to Friday. Then we have a 45-minute lunch, uh, and then we critique two or three stories from 12.45 till about 2.30 or so. And then they go off and do assignments, uh, journal entries every day, critiquing stories of their classmates and writing their own stories. So those lectures every day, that three hours of time, uh, we're covering in depth an advanced curriculum that covers all the various elements of fiction writing. So we're really getting into the details of the different tools and techniques that you can use to improve your writing in these various ways, looking at examples from great stories, from horrible stories, so we can learn what's good to do and what's good to not do. But anyway, in week six of the workshop, those lectures are devoted to publishing, uh, both traditional publishing and self-publishing. So we talk about writing query letters, finding an agent, finding the right magazine for your short story, uh, how publishers work, how you can get the most out of them, things to look out for in contracts, you know, how to create a strong cover for an ebook, all of those different things. We wait till the last week so that people don't get distracted by that. I think there's a danger of some writers get pulled into writing for the market, you know, so you see some book become a bestseller and you think, oh, I've got to write that kind of thing. Or you see there's some anthology asking for evil doll stories. So I've got to write an evil doll story right away. And that can work sometimes, but most of the time it leads writers to write things that they are not inspired to write, that are not meaningful and personal to them. And so they're not as good as the similar works written by people who were inspired to write those things. And so I've seen some writers' careers completely destroyed by chasing the market like that. So I encourage writers to write what they are inspired to write, what is important to them to write, and then find the market for it. So the schedule at Odyssey kind of reflects that. I would love to compare how you teach students and writers at the workshop with your own process. Are you cool with schooling us on writing from a former astrophysicist's perspective? Sure. <laughs> Amazing. First question starts with an idea. How, as a scientist, do you come up with ideas? Do you find that you'll be reading a news story or something in a magazine and say, oh, that might be a good idea? Or, or how do you come up with ideas? Well, ideas are bursting into my head all the time. <laughs> uh, and I think if you if you write every day, you kind of have that in your head all the time. So anything can give me an idea from you know, a bad TV show, right? You imagine, oh, I could do it so much right. better. Like, here's what should have happened. Or a science article. The inspiration for my current novel actually came long, long ago when I was writing The Science of the X-Files. And some of those episodes that I talked about the science in had to do with genetics. And as I was working on those sections and reading some material about genetics, uh, I was fascinated by the idea that a lot of our, our personalities, our predispositions are really in large part right there in our DNA. And of course, nurture can have an effect on that, which traits are brought out and how they're brought out, but that a lot of who we are 
is in our DNA. And I thought, wow, how fascinating. And then, well, what if, you know, we gained the ability to manipulate DNA, which of course we have now with CRISPR technology, they can edit uh, your genome just like they're editing a manuscript on Word. And what if we could then change someone's behavioral predispositions, uh, either in a good way or a bad way? Um, how would that affect the world? So, yeah, a lot of times science articles can be great inspirations for story ideas. And I love, you know, getting these newsletters. If you're interested in science, all of these science journals and magazines have newsletters that they send you. Here's their latest articles, and you can read about the different topics that interest you most. Uh, I actually do a little workshop once a year for middle school kids who are uh, middle school girls, actually, who are interested in science. And we brainstorm how to turn science ideas into science fiction stories, which is very, very fun. And they just love doing that. Scientists have been known to use the scientific process. Would you say that there's a uh, similarity between the scientific process and working on a story? Are there you know similar rules? It's very funny you say that because one of the students at Odyssey a few years ago wrote this comment about the workshop, uh, you know, very nice comment and said, you know, Jean used to be a scientist and she's still a scientist. She explains things are, is very scientific. And I hadn't been aware of that. But of course, that's one of my behavioral predispositions, I suppose, is to be kind of logical and think about things right. step by step and break them down into their bits. Uh, and I think maybe that's part of why people find my teaching helpful uh, at Odyssey is, is that I do kind of demystify writing. Like when I was in my uh, MFA program, a lot of the teachers wouldn't really lecture us very much about how to do things. They would just critique and react to things. And it was sort of mysterious about, you know, what makes a good writer. You know, you either have it or you don't have it. It's this magical something, which I think is, for the most part, just malarkey. That it's writing involves a collection of skills that you can practice and you can get better and better at. You know, obviously, you need to have some creativity and some ideas about stories and creating characters. But uh, I seldom meet anyone that is being held back by a lack of ideas, it's usually a lack of skills and how to develop those ideas. So, uh, yeah, so I think there's a huge similarity in writing and in science uh, in that, you know, you need certain ingredients, you have to mix them in a certain way, that you can understand things by basic principles. And of course, in writing, maybe unlike science, all of those principles like your character needs to have a goal, can be violated as long as you give the reader something else of equal or greater value. So if you're going to take away, say, that uh, involvement of a character struggling to achieve a goal, which um, can be so satisfying for the reader, and have the character sitting around on the couch not having a goal, what are you going to give the reader instead of equal or greater value to make up for what you're taking away? Maybe you're going to give them like an awesome voice that's so fresh and compelling that we just want to read more from this voice, even though not much is happening. And there have been plenty of 
stories and novels that have done that and gotten away with it because the writer was really good with the voice or whatever they were offering. So I suppose in that way, it's a little bit different than science, but there is a lot of science to writing. On the other side of the coin, does writing from an astrophysicist's perspective ever hold you back or make you feel more limited, whether that's regarding a more scientific approach or whether that's even, you know, being limited to information that's grounded uh, in science or in the real world? Maybe a little bit limited in that I probably wouldn't put something into a story that was that seemed very obviously scientifically inaccurate, except by accident, maybe. But I think I'm probably more limited, as is every writer, by the way I think, the person I am. You know, there are just some characters that I wouldn't create because I wouldn't even think of creating them, or I wouldn't be able to understand them and create them in a, in a strong way. I don't remember who it was, but some writer said, that we all have a repertory company in our heads, you know, this collection of characters or actors, right, in our heads that we're going to cast into different parts in our stories. Uh, and I think, you know, the wider variety of characters you can create, the better. That'll give your, your work more variety and more flexibility. But we all are limited in the number of characters that we can create. So I have limitations like that for sure. Um, and, you know, the limitation of not being able to see my own work the way a reader sees it. I can do that to some degree, which is what comes from doing lots and lots and lots of critiques on other people's writing. As you see their writing the way a reader sees it and you study, you know, why is this scene working and why is that scene not working? Why do I hate this character and love this character? And why is the ending all wrong for the story? Game of Thrones, I'm talking to you. And uh, so that allows you to some degree look at your own writing the way a reader or a critiquer would look at it and see some of the problems. But I can't do that entirely. And I don't think any writer can, which is why you need feedback so that other people will tell you those things that you're missing. Are you ready for something we call a series of seemingly random questions? Uh oh. Okay. A lot of people react that way. The first one, you had mentioned Star Trek earlier and the light speed travel. For those writers writing stories set in the future and thinking about having their ships travel faster than light, will it ever be possible and how far away is it from a former astrophysicist's perspective? Well, if the sun doesn't burn out, entropy doesn't take over, and we don't kill ourselves, I think we can get to this point. Uh, there have been several really interesting theories about how we could travel faster than the speed of light, which really means we manipulate space-time so that we're really not traveling faster than the speed of light. You know, for example, we create a wormhole from where we are to where we want to go, and the wormhole maybe is, you know, half a mile long, even though where we want to go is 50 light-years away. And so we can travel half a mile pretty fast and get to where we want to go without, without violating that principle. But to do that is pretty difficult and requires the ability to manipulate huge energies. So that's what's going to take some time, probably a thousand years to get us there. Oh, wow. So we have to still be around for a thousand years, I think, to be able to do that. But who knows, maybe it'll happen faster. Next question. What's the biggest thing that science fiction writers get wrong from a physics perspective? Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Well, a lot of 
things that, you know, we take for granted in science fiction because allegedly they're believable. And I hope you could hear my air quotes on that. They're not really believable, right? Like faster than light travel or time travel. They're possible. They're possible a thousand years in the future if we have all of these great abilities, but often not the way that they're portrayed. I guess one of my favorite things that's not believable is, you know, when you have sound in space or you have characters being thrown across the bridge in Star Trek, you know, from some shock wave, right? The planet explodes and then there's a shock wave. The shock wave traveling through what exactly? Uh, Then the ship is shaking and all of that stuff. So that's interesting. And also communication, right? How are we communicating with far distant places? That would be a little difficult too. But I'm not really, even though I'm a former scientist, I'm not the kind to read something or watch something and rip it apart. (laughs) I try to just go with it and enjoy it. You know, it's somebody trying to tell me a story. And if it's a good story, I don't want to be, I don't want to have it ruined for myself by, by dwelling on that stuff. You can choose to answer this question or not. Totally up to you. You mentioned sound in space. What about, uh, I don't know if you've seen The Last Jedi, but there's a scene where Princess Leia is floating through space and using the Force comes back alive. Any thoughts from a physicist's perspective? I know that they've figured out how long you can last in space without any protection, and I think it's about seven seconds. Oh, wow. Unless she's got some kind of protective shield around her or bubble of oxygen and temperature and all of that, I don't think she could last. Next question. If you could take any writer, living or dead, to any fast food restaurant, which writer would you choose? Which restaurant and why? Oh, wow. Any writer. This is going to sound strange, but I really like Aeschylus, (laughs) an ancient Greek writer. Oh, wow. So I guess I would take him because that would be really interesting. And I don't know. I'd take him to McDonald's because I like McDonald's. Good choice. Great choice. Which scientist would you bring? Oh, I would bring Miguel Alcubierre. He is the one who came up with this theory for how warp speed could work. Uh, And I would love to be able to talk to him more about that. Second to last question, if you could choose one learning or insight from your career to pass along to those writers who are listening, what would you say? Oh, I would say the writers who succeed are the ones who keep writing, no matter what, no matter how many rejections they get, no matter how many bad critiques they get, no matter how bad they themselves think they are, that they just keep going. They write every day, that they don't give up, they send their work out, and they keep sending it out. And that's how you succeed. Love it. The last question, I've been handed an envelope. I'm opening the envelope. The question is, did you have fun today? I had a great time. We did too. Such interesting questions. My mind was on <laughs> gone from one end of the galaxy. <laughs> Love that. Did you want to plug anything before you go? Obviously, you've got the workshop. For those maybe listening who are interested in applying to the workshop, any opportunity to kind of shout anything out? Thanks. I'd love to do that. So for anybody interested in Odyssey, you can go to our website, odysseyworkshop.org, where, as I said, we have lots of free resources. You can also find out information about our summer workshop 
with the application deadline of April 1st. And we've got several scholarships for next year, including the George R.R. Martin-funded scholarship for a horror writer attending Odyssey called the Miskatonic Scholarship. And we've got our online classes, which are going to be held in January and February. And the application deadline for those is December 7th. So that's coming right up. And these are live online. So you have a virtual classroom experience. We try to do it as much like the in-person workshop as we can to give you that great experience. And we've got three classes. I'm teaching one on 3X structure and fantastic fiction because... As I said, plotting is one of the great weaknesses of writers. We've got another class on the heart of the matter, bringing emotional resonance to your storytelling by an award-winning author, Barbara Ashford. And uh, getting emotion in your writing is another huge challenge for writers. If your readers don't feel anything, then it's pretty much game over. So I think that's a very exciting class. And then our third class is Standing Out creating short stories with that crucial spark, which is being taught by uh, the editor and publisher of Beneath Ceaseless Skies, which is an award-winning magazine, um, Scott H. Andrews. And he talks about you know, the issue of editors getting tons of story submissions and having to choose and looking for some that have that spark, something that sets them apart. Anyway, so if you're interested in any of the things that Odyssey offers or you just want to drop by our online salon and say hi, you would be welcome to do that. If someone wants to reach out to you directly, did you want to provide any sort of resource there? or? Yeah, and anyone who wants to check out my work, my website is jeanecabellos.com, which is J-E-A-N-N-E-C-A-B-E-L-O-S. And you can also email me at jcabellos at odysseyworkshop.org. And you can find me on Facebook, find odyssey on twitter and instagram and wherever you go well thank you jane this was a really fun one a little bit different loved getting the perspective of a former astrophysicist and talking about the workshop so thank you so much for your insights and your time oh great thank you i had a wonderful time talking to you and we did as well thank you jane and thank you to our listeners we hope to see you next week thank you so much for listening to the writer experience if you enjoyed the episode today please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.